0: You can see how the optimist and the pessimist are sort of in an eternal tug of war, right? Mm-hmm. With the optimist pulling hard in one direction and the pessimist in another. But how it's, how it's felt is more often the optimist thinking, I, I can never do it right for you. I, I can never get it right. No matter what I say, it's wrong. And the pessimist is going, I'm just a realist that's all. I'm just trying to get your head out of the sand. I'm just being realistic. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, what happens is we are stalemated. Mm. It's not the same thing as stonewalled. Nobody's trying to to shut the other out. It's not that. It's literally that the tug of war becomes over, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, and nothing budges. So decision-making, obviously, is the first thing to get impacted.
1: This week, can a marriage survive with one optimist and one pessimist? The answer isn't a yes or no, but has a variety of nuances with a multitude of circumstances that will make the dichotomy more pronounced. Dr. Noel Nelson explains what that all means. Stay tuned. I never wanna give it back, this feeling... Hi, I'm going to keep this short. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. You should know that we have a website, hitchmag.com, with thousands of articles, our complete podcast archive with over 500 episodes, a free weekly newsletter, and more. If you like this podcast, please leave a rating or review to help encourage others to join. And without further ado, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This is Steve Cooper, editor-in-chief of HitchedMag.com. I am joined once again with the lovely, the brilliant Dr. Noelle Nelson. Hi, Noelle. Hi, Steve. Hello. Uh, Noelle is a clinical psychologist, a consultant, a popular speaker in the U.S. and abroad, the author of a dozen-plus best-selling books, and her newest, uh, which I'm really excited about, is I Survived COVID-19, What Now?, um, actually there's more to it. It's uh, adding finding happiness and success in a post COVID world, which I think is really important because we're all trying to move forward. Uh, and so a fantastic read, you can find more information at her website, noelnelson.com. Um, so talking about moving forward, Noel, uh, today's topic is can a marriage survive with one spouse as an optimist and the other as a pessimist? Uh, This is a great question, Um, and some might think that having such opposing views would doom a marriage from the start. What say you?
0: Well, not really. I mean, there's love, right? And Mm -hmm. that's completely irrational, which is wonderful, and other factors that bring a couple together, and those, those are very strong. And especially in the first few years, Steve, there's a greater willingness to work together as a couple. The problem sets in over the years when each, is spou- each spouse's dominant attitude becomes more pronounced, especially in the area of mutual decision-making. Mm,
1: okay. Um, and so in, when we talk about decision-making,
0: how does that get impacted? Well, what starts to happen, is I mean, you, can, you can see how the optimist and the pessimist are sort of in an eternal tug of war, right, mm-hmm. with the optimist pulling hard in one direction and the pessimist in another. But how it's, how it's felt is more often the optimist thinking, I, I can never do it right for you. I, I can never get it right. No matter what I say, it's wrong. And the pessimist is going, I'm just a realist. That's all. I'm just trying to get your head out of the sand. I'm just being realistic. Mm -hmm. And so in that process, what happens is we are stalemated. Mm. It's not the same thing as stonewalled. Nobody's trying to to shut the other out. It's not that. It's literally that the tug of war becomes over, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, and nothing budges. So decision-making, obviously, is the first thing to get impacted.
1: Mm. That's a good distinction, um, that this is a stalemate and not a stonewall because we know that stonewalling is like a death knell to uh, a healthy relationship. Right. Um, we were, it, it's funny. I, lo- I was telling you before we jumped on air here, how much I love this topic because I am just a, a super optimist when it comes to life in general. And my wife, Jess, uh, she, and I again, I would not describe her as a pessimist at all, um, but she definitely doesn't uh, view the world with the same optimism that I do. And so she's constantly, of course, you see it that way. Of course, you see the best in that person. Of course, you see the <laughs> the silver lining on that thing. And it does um, it does impact our interaction. Um, but the thing that I love as an optimist is how it opens me up to see uh, some of the hidden dangers or the concerns that she sees when she views the world through her lens. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to hear uh, how this unfolds uh, in, in and the, the approaches of the two and what some of these solutions are. So my first question for you, uh, or I suppose the second one is, what's the optimist approach?
0: Well, you know it intuitively, Steve, since you are one, but the optimist approach, if we take the big picture, is that optimists will usually generate a ton of great ideas, just one after another, bingo, bango without, however, looking at what might be the possible problems, downsides, and so forth and so on. So, you know, they're, let's rent a beach house for the summer. We've been cooped up all year. Oh God, let's just rent a beach house. Wouldn't that be fantastic? And then they start going on and on about how the white, the sand is so white and the water is so blue. And there's this adorable little beach house that just might be available, you know, I don't know, an hour away from the house, whatever. And they're going on and on and on about it. And they're absolutely ignoring any semblance of, well, let's see... Are the kids going to be wanting to do summer school? Are the kids going to be out of school, in school? Can we afford... They're not looking at any of that. And right on top of the beach house will come, oh, and you know what? I also heard about this fantastic new class for kayaking. I think we should do that. Don't you think that would be a lovely idea? And the ideas are usually going, I don't know, roughly at the rate of tennis balls in a tennis match. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) the
1: the, the way that you just described it, um, which... I, I love the, I for lack of a better word, the optimistic approach there. Um, th- I don't think it's fair, and I know you'll probably describe this more in detail later, but I don't think it's fair to describe an optimistic approach as lacking realism, because the pessimistic approach would be, um, yeah, white sand gets super hot, it's going to burn my feet, as opposed to, Uh, being optimistic about finding this beach house with this white sand and also being able to recognize that, like, that might cost a pretty penny. That I don't feel like that's outside the realm of
0: being an optimist. Am I wrong in that? Well, you're sort of confusing the optimist as a general view of life with how do optimists live life. Okay. It's not the same thing. And what we're really talking about here are the extremes. Nobody lives in the extremes, okay, or very few people, I should say, because there's no such thing as nobody, but optimism and pessimism are a range right okay, so a a pure optimist, really Steve, does not ever consider the sand might be too hot or the budget isn't there, never. The optimist just springboards from one ain't it wonderful to another, ain't it wonderful to another, this could be great, and oh, look, isn't that great literally like a ping pong match or a tennis match. So there's a difference between the optimist all the way out at the far end of the, of, of the optimistic range and the optimist who comes closer to, if you will, a middle position where there is lots of realistic consideration.
1: But, but I am yeah, no, I, sorry to interrupt, but I, um, I I think this is making a lot of sense to me, but, but being from the total extreme, I guess I'm just trying to understand like (laughs) selfishly where I stand on this. So there's the, there's the far extreme where the optimist bounces around from like all the bright ideas, um, sunshine and rainbows without thinking of any consequences. Um, I, again, making, being selfish about this. I look at it, and I see the same sunshine and rainbows, um, and I will bounce from positive idea to positive idea, and anytime somebody tries to come at me with a problem about, uh, again, let's say I recognize the budget, I don't ignore the budget, but I don't let it stop me from being optimistic about, like, well, maybe we can – go in with other people or maybe we can, I can, you know, do some freelance work to, to make up the difference. Or like I will bounce to the next optimistic idea without ignoring the, the pitfalls. So my, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, my optimism never wanes um, even though I still recognize the realism of a situation. Is that, am
0: I making sense? (laughs) Of course, you're making sense, okay. but it, all it's saying to me is that you're not on the extreme of the range. Okay. Uh, for those who know what it is, an optimist at the at the far end of the range is, frankly, manic. Okay, got it. So hypomania is a is a fancy term for you know bouncing off everything constantly. Got it. And it's not healthy. <laughs> okay. And the but the. Optimist in you is always seeing an optimistic approach to whatever it is. Got it. The realistic side of you, which has been probably uh, developed over the course of what happens in life, has nudged you towards
1: the middle of the range. and And you're saying that like the extreme manic optimist never gets that nudge. They stay in that No,
0: never. Zone. Yes, and there's been some pretty famous ones. Um, there's the fellow that invented a car, and it starts with an L, but the name is not coming to me right now, but you might know of it. There are some some quite famous uh, hyper-optimists mm. who just forged ahead with sheer will and energy and plowed everything out of the way. Mm, okay. It's not really recommended Mm -hmm. (laughs) because too often that leads to accidents and other stuff. But, you know, it's, it's, it's a range like introversion and extroversion are the extremes on a range. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a total introvert is a hermit in the forest. There are very few of us, even though I am a classic introvert, I'd still, am not a hermit in the forest. Right.
1: No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. And,
0: and to your point, um,
1: extremes while they exist and and it can work for the very rare few, it's usually not, uh, it's not the recommended route for people and and not that this is a choice. So. Right. Um, so did I cut off, I apologize. Did I cut off what you had to say about the optimist approach or did you get it all in there?
0: No, I think I pretty much got okay. enough of it in there for this section. Yes.
1: Okay. Um, so given, given the optimist approach, then what's the opposite? What's the pessimist's approach? And um, are they the exact opposite? Like where the optimist just gives you a thousand tennis ball speed ideas? Do, does the pessimist never
0: give an idea? No, of course not. We're back to the range. Mm-hmm. An extreme pessimist would never give an idea. Mm -hmm. But there's very, very, very few of those, just like there's very, very, very few extreme optimists. For the most part, how pessimism works is that the pessimist is acutely aware of the possible issues and problems Mm -hmm. well in advance. They are actually extremely important because they will point out, well, you know, measure twice, cut once. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: We need that sort of thinking as as much as we need the generation of the new ideas. So the two are really, really important. The problem in a a marriage is that the optimists in their eternal, you know, beach house, sand, sun, etc., etc., then when faced with a very important thing such as, we don't have the money for that, Mm-hmm. may not go to your place, Steve, of, well, let's let's talk about how we can get the money. Mm-hmm. May go to the place of, you always make me wrong. Mm. Right. See, that's the thing. We're looking at this really within the, the arena of marriage mm-hmm. and how it can cause problems within a marriage. And the thing is that a lot of people don't realize they're just being their optimistic self. Right. And that's both the optimist and the pessimist isn't recognizing that that spouse is just being their optimistic self, and the pessimist, excuse me, the optimist is not recognizing that the pessimist is really bringing to the table some real important stuff. So,
1: so, so what you, yeah. So what you really have is you have the optimist saying like, "Let's do this," the pessimist saying like, "We can't afford it," and then the optimist firing back saying, uh, "You always shoot down my ideas. You never." Uh, You never take into consideration, you know, whatever. And And then the pessimist replies, and you never take into consideration, like, how this is not possible for us.
0: (laughs) And further, more important than that in terms of the emotional – well-being of the marriage is that the optimist, after a while of this, because again, this isn't what happens in the beginning of the relationship, of the marriage. This happens, this aspect of it happens later on. By this time, the optimist feels like they can never be right, mm. that they are wrong, and do, as, do a, they, as a person,
1: and do they start shutting down then when they start getting when they start throwing out these ideas, and, and the pessimist spouse starts rejecting them or at least confronting them with the uh, problems with their ideas? Uh, do they then start withdrawing, or do they keep plowing ahead, uh, it causing depends. more
0: annoying friction? But it's where we it's why we call it a stalemate, right? Because often these are there are decisions that need to be made. Mm-hmm. So it's not like the, uh, the optimist is, is throwing out, you know, some cool idea that's kind of, you know, who cares, beach house or not, but maybe it's an idea about, Oh, we should get a new car. Oh, I know we should get a, we should get a minivan. Mm-hmm. And, and the pessimist is going, uh, Hmm, let's see. We are, our car is only three years old. Uh, it's probably, we don't have that many kids. Uh, and that's how it's going to work. There's a decision that has to be made mm-hmm. about the car for one reason or another, and it's going to get stalemated because they start to take it personally. Mm-hmm. It's not just you never like my ideas, it's I can never do it right for you right and, this, and then it, it, oh, it's sorry. not just it, it's not just, well, you know I, I, I need to take into account the whole family and, and all of our budget and all of that and and you never ever want to pay attention to the details so so you know I'm, I'm just sort of withering in the corner here, hmm
1: what you just described, I think is such a relatable conversation that a lot of people can, can like hear and understand. Um, I love that we're using the example of like a beach house for a summer vacation. Cause it is such a happy image. Um, and it is like such a first world problem to have this argument, but what you just described, that interaction that you just described, uh, can be over like kids lunches. It's it, it, it resonates on Absolutely. so many different levels. It doesn't have to be these like highfalutin problems. Uh, it just It's just funner to talk about like that. So I, I ju- I'm trying to like ground the conversation so if somebody's not recognizing what we're talking about or starts tuning out because they can't afford the new minivan, uh, this applies at what's going on at the dinner table. And, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I love the example of the kids' lunches because the optimist is, is going to be, well, yeah, you know, give them chips. They love chips, so we'll give them, Let's get some more chips. They like chips. Mm-hmm. And the pessimist is going, ah, not really good for their health. You know, I think carrots would be better. Oh, you know, you're such a doggy downer. That's the optimist. And the pessimist going, uh, somebody's got to care about their health. Now, do you see where this goes? Right. Mm-hmm. So, what's the upshot in all this? This,
1: this back and forth friction.
0: Well interestingly enough, is that the upshot is when the two start to recognize what, where they're coming from, that this is a basic personality structure that's not going to get altered, okay? Mm-hmm. When they start to recognize that and look for the benefit in each, then they can actually start to work together, and working together is fabulous because then the optimist will say, you know, chips, they love chips. I'm going to throw some more chips in their lunch. And the pessimist goes, uh, carrots, please. Mm-hmm. And, and then everybody stops for a second and go, oh, okay, okay, okay. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right. Let's, let's see how we can do this better. I mean, it really has to be one of those where you're looking for common ground and the, whichever one, let's say the pessimist says, well, how about let's, let's do chips every other day. How's that? And the optimist goes, yeah, you know, I, I think carrots every other day and, you know, days in between would, would work out pretty good. That sort of thing. But where it has to start, and this is true of introversion, extroversion, this is true of any of the personality constructs, mm-hmm. is the willingness of each spouse to recognize that the other one is not out to do them harm. Mm-hmm. They're not out to hurt the marriage or each other. They're just different people with different approaches to life and that both are necessary. How, how do you flip that
1: switch to make that recognition? I mean, is it as simple as listening to this podcast and being like, Oh, I get it now. Or is there more of a process to it than that?
0: It's actually as simple as getting the idea that, Oh, we really are two different people. And that that doesn't mean we don't love each other. Mm-hmm. And Often the simple gesture of just saying, okay, I love you. We we can we can sort this out. Mm-hmm. I, Sometimes having discussions, this is one of the things date night is good for. Mm-hmm. Having a conversation about, gee, you seem to look at some things really different from me. Tell me more about what that is like for you. Mm-hmm. Those conversations, which we tend to have in courtship, but we do not tend to maintain. In the years following, are really good conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. It's funny. Uh, I I cannot tell you the number of times. And like honestly, in like recent memory, maybe it's because we've been locked in quarantine and all that stuff. Where Jess will just did I ever tell you the story about? And then she will go on and tell me something as if we were still in the courtship phase and like unpeeling that onion layer after layer after layer. And I'm like, oh no, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Oh, that explains so much. Um isn't that nice? It's it's amazing. It's great. Yeah. And and I, honestly, I don't know how she continues to have more layer, <laughs> layers because <laughs> she keeps un, it keeps unraveling. Um but also to your point about like flipping the like the question that I asked about flipping the switch, I wanted to add that and I know we've talked about this in the past, but there have been certain inflection points at least in my life where I have like something just clicked and I had to think to myself, "Oh, this is just the way that sh- she is. And I can either continue to get upset about it or I can just accept it as it is what it is. Um, and that sounds like a flippant way to go about it, but it's 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 acknowledging that it's not wrong. It's just different. And I think when people can recognize something as being different as opposed to being an opposition, then it's a lot easier to move forward. And, and I've done that a lot where Jess doesn't do a lot of things the way that I would do them. But I have just shifted my mindset to think like, oh, she's doing it a different way than me, not a wrong way. And because she's doing it a different way, I might actually learn something from her um, because of that. And it has really made so much in our relationship easier because I don't feel the need internally to try to correct all the time or throw out my version of something all the time. Um, I still do. <laughs> and I still want to sometimes, but not all the time. And I think for me, that was like a, just, it was like a mental shift that I had to make. And to your point about introvert, extrovert, and all the different dynamics, it really did apply like
0: across the board. Sure. And you've really actually started to address the the last point that I wanted to bring up today, which is, you know, the solution, mm. right? Yes, like, please. What's, what's one to do? Because you have found, and I think you're probably, you found 90% of it, Steve, and I think you're probably doing the, the last 10% without even realizing it, which is, first of all, most importantly, know thyself. Know thyself. Mm. You have to be able to know where you are on this, on this range in order to be able to share that with your love, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you don't maybe use the exact words. That's not important. But if you come to know who you are, then you're in a much better place to, A, share that knowledge of yourself with your partner, but also to recognize how they are different. That's the 90%. But the 10% that's so valuable is to just start appreciating the value that their very difference brings to the marriage. Right. Because quite frankly, without a quote unquote pessimist pointing out that maybe we shouldn't blow the entire family budget on X, maybe we should save some for Y, or maybe chips every day for the kids isn't such a swift idea. Let's, you know, intersperse some veggies in there. Without that, bad things are going to happen. Mm -hmm. See, the, the pessimist isn't, except at the very Extremes. The pessimist is not a, a dire threat inducing individual. They are pointing out often actual issues that need to be looked at. Mm-hmm. And the optimist doesn't have to be the one who's always giving ideas that are, are absurd. They're giving actually very good ideas that simply often need to be brought down to earth a little bit more. Mm-hmm.
1: More consideration and so, taken. In
0: yes, yeah. for the like you said the consequences earlier. So frankly, if one can appreciate that, it would be a very unhappy marriage if there were never any new ideas brought to the table, and or never any issues pointed out. Mm-hmm. The thing would get blown out of the water one way or another.
1: Right. And to your point about this balance, um, it almost seems like this, you know, we started this off and I asked the question about, you know, are these marriages doomed, uh, which I get was also a bit hyperbolic. Um, but it almost seems like this, I don't want to say it's the ideal, but there's a lot of strength in having these opposing viewpoints, uh, connecting with each other because they really do provide a very good balance of how to approach things, being, being able to see both sides of
0: something. Yes, they do. They really do. And that's why rather than taking it to the personal place, which is where too many of us take it of, well, I'm always wrong. I'm wrong. I can never do it right for you. Or the other one, which is, well, and, and no matter what I say, you're going to say, I'm a doggy downer. hmm i'm I'm just the 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 nebbish i mean i'm I'm the terrible one here instead of taking it personally, when one can look at it as simply different approaches that when taken together, bring us to a better solution of whatever the issue was. I don't care if it's chips, the van or the beach house
1: mm-hmm. it uh, d- what you just said there, I think is important to kind of highlight which and it's something that we've talked about a lot about uh confrontations between people, which is you don't put it on them. And you no. just highlighted that about you don't attack them as like, you're all, you know, you're always putting me down. Uh, or you always shoot down my ideas. Um, it, it's an awareness that this is an an outlook. This is a personality type. And that type of personality sees the world that way. And that is the type of approach that they are going to have. And it's not personal, that's just you know that's just how they're wired um right. and and to your point the people who aren't on the far extremes will have there's adjustments right like there's growth yep. that happens in life and people will make adjustments the people who um yeah, there's a there's a line and I've probably brought it up like 5 times uh, from a old punk rock song that I really love um which says trust is something that comes easy when you've never been a victim and so <laughs> the greatest optimist in the world will have be knocked down a peg once something's been stolen from them, for example. And it's like, Oh, sure. maybe I should lock my doors. <laughs> um, right. And, and you know, that doesn't make them a pessimist all of a sudden, but it does adjust the worldview a smidge. And um, yeah, I, I just, I just love the fact that you pointed out that this, this isn't about attacking the individual person, but it's really going at the archetypes of personalities and being able to fit those two puzzle pieces together in a collaborative manner.
0: Yes, and collaborative is the
1: word. Um, so I know I rambled on a lot on this episode. <laughs> was, there, <laughs> was there any other points that you wanted to, to make or
0: add to uh, this topic today? Only that every personality construct, fancy words for the way people are, has benefits and disadvantages, and you do much, much better if you start to really appreciate the benefits and let the disadvantages kind of fade into the background. Mm, that's great. Um, I will
1: not add anything to that. So thank you so much, Noel. Uh, it is always a pleasure. Look forward to, look forward to doing this again very soon. Thank you, Steve. And before we go, I want to remind you that you have been listening to Dr. Noelle Nelson, a clinical psychologist, a consultant, a popular speaker in the U.S. and abroad, the author of uh, over a dozen best selling books. Her latest book is I Survived COVID 19 What Now? Finding Happiness and Success in a Post COVID World. You can find this information at her website, noelnelson.com. You can also get this information on our website, hitchedmag.com, where we also have the complete archive, uh, 500 plus episodes of this podcast. We've been doing it a very long time before it was before it was like the end thing to do. Uh, we also have thousands of articles available to you for free on a just huge range of subjects pertaining to relationships. Uh, and if you like any of this information, uh, please subscribe to the podcast if you're not already subscribed. And if you have subscribed, if you would leave a rating or review, that would be fantastic and greatly appreciated. So thank you so much until next time. That is going to do it for us. Take care, everybody. each other's eyes, we know that it's showtime, clear our heads of all
0: our worries and fears,